listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 204, I believe, of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the GGTMC, as we like to call it. Uh, we are back. We are. Uh, I have. I, I have traveled. Large William has traveled to record somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I'm up. Uh, up here, uh, Ryan uh, K. We'll just say Ryan K's neck of the woods. He of the. He's the silver and gold design guy. So I'm up yeah. near him at my dad's house. Nice, nice, and. Um, we are back for another episode, a listener uh, programmed episode. This is uh, Tyler's episode where we cover Ali Fear Eats the Soul, 1974, and the Eel, aka, I guess, it, is it Unagi? Unagi, maybe? Unagi? I guess Unagi, Unagi, Unagi. tomato, tomato, potato, yeah. potato. Unagi, Unaga? Uh, <laughs> 1997. So one directed by one fast bender. Uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender, and the other one is uh, Shohei Imamura. So, Shohei, Shohei Imamura. Shohei? Shohei. Shohei. Yes. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yes, it's a minefield this morning for us. <laughs> well, at least the Japanese title wasn't crazy. I haven't looked at the German title of Ali, though. So. Angst essen Seele auf. <laughs> Guten Tag. Wunderbar. <laughs> For your papers. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> we are back uh, and um, alright so that's what we're doing this week uh, I guess we'll get into what we've been watching go ahead and get into that so I defer to you fine sir alright so um, I got uh, I got six films in so that was good I guess uh, considering nice. the state of affairs with you know life and, and all that good stuff um, after Paths of Glory last week I watched a, a documentary on Netflix instant called Bomb, oops, Bombay Beach and uh, this is about some residents who live near the Salton Sea um, I've seen a few documentaries of people in that area and for those who don't know about the Salton Sea there's a film with Val Kilmer and a pig-nosed uh, Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. or a non-nosed if yeah. I remember correctly yeah. um, <laughs> and it's it's basically it's a, it's a lake a man-made lake that just went very bad, very poorly, and it's basically a desert with a bunch of eccentrics and and just sort of bizarre people on the fringes of society. So it's it looks at a boy, a teenage, like a, a young boy, a teenage boy, and, a, and an old old man and their their lives basically. Um, it works to a degree. The director has talent, but I think they kind of they get a little too cute with some of the stylistic stuff. They mm-hmm. try to get too kind of um, kind of hipster poetic with, you know, some lens flares and stuff, which is ironic because Todd and I, I was just saying how much I love lens flares, but they kind of get a little too uh, cinematic with the documentary stuff. And, and it's fine to have some style with your documentary, but it some of it just feels a little too contrived um, in the context of a documentary. So mm. not a bad one, but, uh, you know, not great either. Mm. Uh, then October started, so I decided to be festive, and I said, you know, I even forewarned my wife. I said, I'm going to watch everything 
or everything I watch this month is going to be horror related in some capacity. Okay. So we started off uh, en français, and I watched Shaitan, the the Vincent Cassel subtle performance <laughs> film. <laughs> and uh, have you seen Shaitan? I have seen it, but it's Vincent's it's like you know whenever it came out. Oh yeah, it's been a while now. It's God, but it's uh, it's not great. It's I have a man crush on Cassel, much like Aaron and you and a lot of other people. I think Paul Hughes does. Um, you know, he's got some some really large false teeth and great. <laughs> I lost you. You lost me? There you're back. Woo. Okay. Close call. Whew. Close call. Yikes, he's got some debacles this morning out of the gate, so uh, my heart sunk, my stomach <laughs> Yeah, dropped. mine did too, man. Ay, ay, ay. My bone went limb. Um, but Shaitan has some really great moments in it, some awkward kind of horrific moments, but it also has some kind of broad humor, and the characters are awful and very... Um, very douchey. I, I said to someone, I felt like the characters represented modern French society uh, because they're very predominant uh, ethnic groups in France. Uh, there's a Muslim character, I, th- I think, from Algeria, an Asian character. Which I don't know how, how big, of, you know, Vietnamese or, or I believe the character was Vietnamese, but I know there's a whole colonization thing with France. But and then um, uh, what else? I don't know what other characters, but I felt like. You see that those themes of race a lot in French films, um, and and so sort of social unrest. So I don't know if that played in or not, but it was okay. Um, it, you know, worth a watch. It's on instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went to a film that uh, a sort of supernatural giallo of sorts. I hadn't seen. Uh, it's a very metal Mikey esque title, Night of the Sexual Demons, and uh, it was pretty fucking terrible. Um, I think I have it, that. Yeah, I have that. Mark sent that type of stuff from Cinema Day Bazaar, right? Yeah, and I can send it back because <laughs> it's pretty terrible, man. It's uh, the print's okay. It's 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 watchable, but it's probably a notch above Candy Tangerine Man, which is pretty muddy and soft. But uh, it's pretty dull, man, for a film that's called Night of the Sexual Demons. You know, yeah. if this was a Joe D'Amato film, mm-hmm. it would have worked. But it's uh, it's pretty dull. It's like a period piece, kind of uh, supernatural giallo. So even at the end, there's a bunch of uh, LSD kind of kaleidoscope visuals and lesbianism. And when I'm just, I'm so flatlined by that point, I don't care about your film. Yeah. So that was that. I uh, went to a reliable director next. Someone sort of went more into thriller category. I went with Lisa, which is a Gary Sherman directed film. Um, I'd never seen it, but I remember the cover. It had the, the, the girl from that show, My Two Dads. Oh, yeah. I uh, had Cheryl Ladd, I want to say. Um, I think it was Cheryl Ladd. Anyway, it's about a girl, teenage girl, who, who crank calls random men. It kind of leads them on a little bit. And uh, she, of course, has the, the misfortune of crank calling the candlelight killer. <laughs> and uh, it, it, what's interesting is it's not really him stalking her. It's more her unwittingly antagonizing him and the followed as they get closer together. So it's it, it's worth a watch. It's on instant also. Nice. I'm uh, sticking with the instant train. I watched something that was probably the most subtle and nuanced film of the week for me, and that was Eternal Evil of Asia, <laughs> which is a, a category three mind bender involving uh, a revenge bent male witch whose sister has been killed, and he's going to get the four motherfuckers uh, who did it. So there's at one point a guy's head literally turns into a dickhead. Who's pissing? Yeah. I think uh, 
maybe it was uh, Heaven's Trash or somebody. I think wanted us to cover this at some point. Or Tim, maybe Tim. Tim, Tim always wants yeah, us to get into the Category Three shit. <laughs> 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 so it's okay. Um, you have to be in the mood for a lot of the really zany Category Three stuff. And yeah. uh, I, I was kind of partially in the mood. I, I wasn't fully. I was, you know, I was a little bit tired. So I was like, oh man, these fucking dummies, you know. But it's uh, it's cool, you know. It works. Uh, and then finally, finally, last night. It was pretty great. Um, it was me, because we're up here for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our Canadian listeners. Um, it's Thanksgiving, so I came out of my dad's house with the kids and my niece. And so there was, uh, my kids went to bed, obviously. So I, my wife, my niece, my two nephews, my sister, my dad, and my stepmother all watched Lake Mungo at like one in the morning. Yeah. So I'd heard some pretty high praise between Miles and Uncool Cat and Aaron Duenas. They were all uh, very, they held this one in very high regard. Um, have you seen this film? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. I don't think it's as terrifying as anyone led me to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the consensus. Now, the lights were off. We watched with the lights off proper. We weren't kind of lights on and so forth. Um, I do think it's probably the best faux documentary or one of the best for documentaries I've ever seen. The performances are amongst the best I've seen in a horror film in in a very long time. Yeah, um, I think it talks about grief, and it does have a few moments that that sent the chill up my spine, for yeah. sure. But yeah. um, it, it it is a very good film, and I think the more I think about it, uh, the more it you know the more it kind of resonates. But I feel a bit bad because I'm hyping it up like. I'm going to everyone, oh, I don't know if we should watch this one. You know, you guys are young. And, and I'm saying to my dad, who's an old pro, I mean, he got me into horror. I'm like, I don't know, guys, this one's pretty scary. You know, and it didn't quite go that way. So I felt a bit like a, a shithead, like, you know, like I'm like the carnival barker. Like, you know, come on, step up. Uh, but it was very good, though. Uh, yeah, I quite yeah. enjoyed it. So well, how are you, what are your thoughts on it? No, I liked it quite a bit. I liked it a lot. Uh, the end credits are cool. Yeah. It's kind of all the stuff you see that you didn't see the first time around. And I haven't revisited it because I don't know if it's, I don't know how rewatchable it is. I guess it probably would be pretty rewatchable because it is pretty, like, I agree with you. It is pretty well acted, well acted. So, Oh, yeah. It feels so natural. And I read somewhere that um, some of the, like, all the performances were pretty much non-scripted. They had a framework of things to hit on. Mm-hmm. And it was it was all improvised. And, God, I mean, the, the performances were so believable. It you know really worked well. So for I think it and also it's, I think it's a testament to how um, malleable film can be. Like it, it's it really feels like a documentary. It's not really ever played like a dramatic sort of narrative driven film. So yeah, yeah, no, it's it's well very well acted. And if you don't know it's a faux documentary at all, you you would never know until somebody mm-hmm. tells you. Really, that's right. I mean, right, like a, a layman film watcher would probably not even know. So no, that's true. Very true. So it that's it. It's good. Yep. I think that might have been on my top thirty a couple years back, two or three years ago. Oh, nice. Very maybe. Nice. Maybe. I don't. I, I don't. Don't hold me to that. Uh, yeah, I think it's one that you could buy on DVD. You don't need the Blu-ray unless the Blu-ray has a ton of special features. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you would need the blue for it. Um, it's actually a kind of a perfect film for instant watch, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. So. I watched, uh, let's see, I don't think I mentioned that I watched, uh, did I mention that I watched The Bat? No. Okay, The Bat is uh, 19, uh, what year is that? Mm. It's an old film. Currently, I have uh, a Turner Classic Movies running around the house here. 
due to uh, you know an agreement and uh, uh, it's a 1959 Vincent Price film directed by one Crane Wilbur nice <laughs> and has Agnes Moorhead in it who played the mom and bewitched the mom witch anyway um, it's it's a pretty good little like well I don't know if it's good but it's it's pretty average but it's it's kind of a fun little like haunted house slash slasher type film from like 59 with a killer who wears a long black trench coat, a black hat, a one black glove with claws on it. Sounds a bit like a, a <laughs> proto giallo meets yeah. Freddy kind I, of. I have the, I have this sense that uh, somebody saw this film. Oy. That's what I have the sense of anyway. So I don't know, but um, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's a good little breezy film. It's it's definitely a who done it, and uh, you pretty much figure out who done it. Very early, but uh, it's 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 interesting. There's and uh, Vincent Price is pretty good in it, and uh, as he always is, you know, he kind of brings the Vincent Price with him wherever he goes. So, I'd love to see. Do you know if um, Doctor Fibes is on blue yet? I uh, don't know if it's on blue or not yet. Don't know. Don't know. I haven't even. Uh, I have to look at that and see. As if it is, I wouldn't mind snagging it. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, the next film I watched, I watched The Amazing Spider-Man. Now, this was on the plane. I went to Seattle, so, I, you know, it wasn't like I chose this thing. But, you know, hey, I didn't seen it, and they said they were going to show it. And I was like, huh, well, you know, I'll throw the headphones in the jack and, and check it out on a 13-inch TV on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not the optimal way to watch a film, obviously. But uh, with the headphones, it kind of lends itself to at least being, you know, loud and whatever. You don't have the Garfield big enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it might have helped, actually, some of the lizard special effects to not see it well-defined. Oh, that's unfortunate. Because the lizard special effects are not really that, that great. Uh, at least I didn't think so. Uh, Bummer. Uh, the movie is, is good. It, it's not bad. I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> you know probably like in the 7, 6.5 to 7 category for me. It, it's a good movie. It's... Uh, I prefer Sam Raimi's style for Spider-Man as opposed to Mark Webb, who has no style. Uh, he's a very confident director, but there's nothing in this film that's going you're going to say, "Wow, that's in 10, 20 years from now, you're probably still not going to say, "Whoa, that was so Mark Webb." <laughs> <laughs> well, now was was my was my boy Garfield a better Peter Parker though? Garfield is a better Peter Parker. That's kind of the hunch I had. I feel bad for him in that. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of going to be like considered in a quick and dirty uh, assessment. The Lester Parker, when I when I saw the casting, even though I'm not a fan of reboots, especially this early, despite understanding why they did it with Tobey Maguire's back and everything, I thought, you know, he's going to be good. He's a natural fit. He has that that boyish look, just like you know a, a Levitt or you know someone like that could have been. Yeah, no, he's he's fine. Uh, you know, the thing that hurts Maguire for me uh, isn't. The Spider-Man one and two, Spider-Man three, <laughs> but oh god! But you know, again, that was choices that were made and whatever. So I'm not even going to get into that because that's just fanboy stuff anyway. But anyway, the I think he is a fun Peter Parker, and I, I just think I think McGuire. I actually, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of McGuire. I know you like him too. Oh yeah, I wish he had have not been. I mean, as good as the Spider-Man films, I wish he hadn't got sucked into that for a decade because he was really making some really great stuff as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, pre Spider Man. I think you're going to see Garfield do the same thing because I think he's going to be roped into this thing for at least three films. 
Uh, there's 10 years of, <laughs> of one of my favorite young actors down the drain. Yeah, so the, that, that's what will happen. Just depends on what he does outside of that, right? So. But uh, you know he is good in the film, and yeah, you know, maybe it's just me, a you know Garfield fanboy like I am. I, I liked him quite a bit in it, but some of the emotional scenes he handled quite well. Some things he didn't handle as well as McGuire. So it, I guess it's you know potato potato type thing, like we were talking earlier. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is good, and uh, maybe the strongest point of the film is the Emma Stone Peter Parker uh, kind of flirtation slash uh, relationship. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, I don't understand a lot of the motivation <laughs> of some <laughs> of the other characters in the film. Yeah, uh, it feels like a whole bunch of stuff. And from what I understand and what I've read before I've seen the film, a lot of stuff got cut, and it feels like a lot of stuff got cut. So it'll be like a three-hour movie, about two hours and ten, or I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I was on a plane, so I don't really. You know, I wasn't really keeping track of time because it was a good time waster. Yeah, for sure. I almost wonder if there'll be like a three-hour cut that'll make it feel a little more fluid. No, from what I understand, and I, and I could be wrong about this, so if any of our listeners are listening and say that I am wrong, let me know that on Facebook or wherever. I believe they cut a bunch of it out and they were going to throw it into the next film because it kind of revolved around some things they were going to do in the next film. But not positive. Man, it seems like I'm having a flashback of some sort. <laughs> Better uh, flashback than a hot flash. Yeah, true, true. But uh, it was good. I mean, it was still it was still fun. It was it was not bad. It was fun. There we go. It was it was still good. Um, I watched uh, another Thomas Jane joint. So catching up on my research with Jane and uh, watched Dark Country, his directorial effort. Is this? Uh, uh, did you? I guess you got the DVD, or was it something that was through, available through a streaming uh, outlet? Uh, no, I got the DVD through Netflix because okay. this one's uh, hard to find otherwise. Well, I mean, I guess it's not hard to find for the most thrifty or the most uh, searchable <laughs> of uh, internet fiends, but uh, it is uh, it is out there. Um, I think it's uh, you know you can like rent it on streaming things. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I just rented it through Netflix. I saw they had it on DVD, so they sent it to me and I checked it out. It's good. It's it's not bad. It's not. Uh, it's stylish. He's going for a little bit of a kind of a comic book feel i know i think it was originally shot in 3d uh back in you know 2008 or something like that so it was really kind of trying to push the 3d a little bit and uh you can tell that it was shot in 3d uh because there's a lot of shots in it that kind of feel like you know they would work in 3d obviously i watched it in 2d um but it is a good film uh jane's good in it uh ron perlman's fun in it uh, it's just, and Ron Perlman's only in it briefly. And Lauren, Lauren German, I think that's how you say her name. She's good. She's good in it. I mean, it's, a, it's a small cast. Uh, and it's a good little like modern noir film. I mean, and it's a, it's very much a noir film narration, uh, hyper stylization, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, pretty good, pretty good job by Thomas Jane. I got to say, you know, for a directorial, uh, you know, for his first job behind the camera, not bad. You know, it's always a roll of the dice with these actors, you know? Oh, totally. You never know who's going to be the great director and who's going to be the average one and who's going to be the shit one. You never know. Yeah, it's almost, um, yeah, it's like with sports when, when athletes become coaches. Yeah, yeah, you just never you know. know. <laughs> hey, Jim Jim Harbaugh, and then, you know, he's a pretty, oh, great, yeah. pretty great coach, and then like Ben Affleck, pretty great director, and then you yeah. know, didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, so, no. So, so Even you know, I didn't, yeah. as much as I'm a, a love big fan. It's 
something I I wouldn't have bet the farm on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't have bet it either. I thought maybe you know, gone baby guns. Like, okay, that that'll be his one. And in the town, even though I didn't love it as much as you guys did, it's still very well done. And then uh, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure Argo will be fun. Oh yeah. Um. Well, I, mean, I guess I shouldn't commit to that so early. I I would, and I would say kudos to Ben for having the former Canadian ambassador, uh, who he plays in the film, I believe, uh, in for a rewrite of the end of the film because it doesn't show him in as positive a light as the actual facts had went. Mm-hmm. It leaned more towards the CIA, I believe, having more of a, a hand in the outcome versus the Canadian ambassador. So, of course, here it was news, right? Right. That they made our guy look like a fucking a dummy who was along for the ride. You know, he, was, he really risked life and limb and his wife's life to get these Americans out of Iran. And uh, Affleck had the class to call uh, Ken, Ken something, I can't remember his last name now, into Hollywood. He said, Let, let's make this right for you. You know, this, I don't want your legacy to, to be tarnished. But it would have been easy for a guy in his shoes to, to keep the flag-waving sentiment up. But he called him in and, and it changed the postscript for him, which I thought was a really classy thing for Affleck to do. Yeah, the uh, the only other thing I watched was a little movie called The Avengers. Oh, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> so I watched this on uh, Blu-ray. I got this from Netflix. It uh, showed up in the old uh, mailbox. <laughs> and getting all deep on you guys, mailbox. <laughs> and uh, I watched it, and I loved it. Yeah. Boom! There you go. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Nice. It's a great comic book movie. And now I'm curious to see how this will kind of contrast with The Dark Knight because I much prefer The Dark Knight even though – because they're both equally well-made. It's just the – well, maybe not equally well-made, but it's the tone because Avengers is very much a, com- a family-friendly comic book film. Yes. Yes, pretty much so. It's definitely a big-budget blockbuster you know, comic book film. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm – uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Avengers. Really liked it a lot. And this is what happens when you have a fan of the characters make a movie. Yes. Uh, this is what happens. Uh this is how they do it. You know, they, like Kenneth Branagh, the only thing he knew about Thor was the mythos. And I feel like that's what you know. Mm-hmm. Because some of the best parts of Thor involve like the uh the other parts of Thor and and uh, I don't even want to get into that. But anyway, here we go again. Yeah, don't even want to get into that. <laughs> oh man that's your hammer to bear <laughs> yeah literally uh but uh with the avengers i feel like they he understands the characters he understands the comedy beats when he needs them he understands the darker character beats um and uh you know he did pretty good all things considered when you put this many characters in a film this many, big many people to please yeah this many people to please everybody give them a moment this many actors blah 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 you are uh, really asking for a disaster <laughs> oh, yeah. of epic proportions. But uh, Whedon pulled it off. And, you know, Whedon's made a couple films now. And I got to admit, he's not a bad filmmaker, style-wise or anything. He's, he's pretty good. Didn't he make Cabin in the Woods as well? Uh, he produced it and produced uh, wrote it. it. Yeah, but I think he, uh, Drew Goddard, I think, uh, directed it. And uh, he's uh, the guy that worked with him on uh, Buffy and stuff. Uh, but what, uh, what other one? What other? Sorry, what other one did Whedon do? Uh, he did a Firefly movie called Serenity, which is actually a really good oh, sci-fi yeah, movie. Yeah, that's a, that's a good little sci-fi film. I wasn't. I had never seen the show, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't. Well, you don't need to see the show, but it's no to enjoy the movie anyway. I mean, I guess it would help, but you know, to each their own. Oh, it's my. a standalone. It's a standalone. Yeah, might have made some more fanboys mad. 
<laughs> oh, I know you did. And I know, speaking Ooh. of Seattle, our girl in Seattle, Sandy's a big Nathan Fillion girl. Now she's a big uh, Firefly fan altogether. Yeah. She had a great Firefly story, a uh, great uh, brown coat story to tell me, which I won't share on the air, but it's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, um, so outside of all of that stuff, uh, I did go to Seattle, and I just want to mention that I got to meet uh, Rob, DZ, and uh, Demise, or Sandy, as we were just talking about. And uh, it was pretty awesome, man. Uh, it, was, it was, as always, when we meet, you know, a couple of those people I've known forever, it seems, because, you know, the Cinema Diabolica days, DZ mm-hmm. being part of the show, and uh, Sandy being a big listener and part of the show. And Sandy's a big part of the podcast community. She was in yeah. the podcasting game for a little while, but she's still around. And uh, it was really great to meet uh, those two. Now, Rob, I had never met, but I'd, I'd talked to him on Facebook occasionally and things like that. So I got to meet him, and it was pretty great, man. I mean, it's just we just sat down, and we just talked for like three hours, three or four hours. We just talked, and it was it was awesome. The restaurant had to run us out, actually. Oh, well, that's so great, man. When I saw those pictures, my heart just swelled. I was like... I wish I could be there, but since I can't, this is the next best thing. It's yeah. uh, really great, man. You know, really, really great. Did, now, did you did you get to go to Scarecrow Video? I did not. I didn't have time That's to it. do some of the other stuff that I wanted to do. But you know, you, you gotta. It's again one of those things where you gotta pick and choose. Yeah, your pros and cons. I probably mm-hmm. could have uh, if I really wanted to push it. But, you know, I wanted to I wanted to see those guys as much as possible. I didn't want to spend as much as I really want to see Scarecrow Video. And uh, stuff like that, I'd, I, you know, that would have taken maybe an hour, hour and a half away from seeing people that I might not see again for years. Which you totally made, I think, the right decision yeah. too. So, I mean, because I can always go back and see, I mean, it's, you know, it's a video store. I mean, I know it's a, a very popular video store and a gigantic video store, but it's a video store. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not Dizzy, it's not uh, Demise, and it's not Rob, so. Yeah, amen. So it was, it was really great to hang out with them and stuff. Um I got to ride in a very small sports car. Well, not a small sports car because I won't say what Demise drives, but but it, uh, when you're in the back seat, you realize how much you know. You realize that you're an older man, and <laughs> that sports cars only make sense for the young or for people who do the, do all the driving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're in the back, it is they. It's not the greatest, most comfortable ride. It's like it's like it's like being on a plane and coach. Exactly, um, but it was it was great, man. And uh, you know, as as with all those things, it's it's always heartbreaking that they got to end. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want the night to end. I would have stayed up all night if I could have. You know, I got like three hours of sleep and I had to get back on a plane, which was lovely. Ugh. But uh, I I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I felt like shit that whole day, but it was great. You know, just to meet those guys and stuff, and just amazing, man. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's one of the best things about this. Every time I go somewhere, I know there's somebody that listens to the show, and it's great to meet up with them. So, yeah, totally, man. That's the thing. That's yeah, that is the thing. I was saying to someone, we could almost not to, like not in, like a way like oh, we're so huge, but we're <laughs> blessed and we're blessed enough that we could go to most states and be able to have dinner and drinks with someone and a lot of countries throughout Europe uh same thing and that's that's really an incredible feeling that is incredible i agree it's totally incredible it's amazing to me as a matter of fact that uh yeah. that it i don't know it's it's hard to explain in words but it was really great it was really great finally meet dz face to face who i've known for a long time now uh sandy who i've known for a long time now uh, just, just great stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, 
I could I could talk about it all day, but I won't. All right, so that is the intro, and uh, we're gonna get uh, to reviewing some films here. So uh, we're gonna take a short break, come back, and uh, what do you want to talk about first here? Uh, Ali Fierits the Soul. Ali Fierits the Soul. It will be okay. We'll be back right after this. Ahoy, mateys. This is K.A.B., Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, beaming a signal across the sea. I'll be here playing music all through the witching hour. I'm still waiting to hear from that weatherman. But in the meantime, stay here with me. Be sure to visit our sponsor, Paracinema Magazine. They're the source for all your genre movie needs. Check them out online at paracinema.net. Tell them Stevie sent you. Keep me turned on for a while, and I'll do my best to do the same for you. The smooth sound. Fabulous. 
and it's just just kind of uh, eluded me. And I'm really glad Tyler picked it. Um, it's a film that a lot of film people hold in high regard. It always makes you know top hundred films of all time lists. Uh, Scorsese, I generically did this pretty cool list of 39 foreign films you must see, and this was one of them. And you know, it's uh, it's got a pretty um, pretty uh, good reputation. When Tiff, the Lightbox opens, same thing. Uh, and I do want to say that it, it's uh, basically a rejigging, a Fassbender rejigging. Um, uh, Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows, which is one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. So I came into it with certain expectations. Um, as a side note, uh, it stars, of course, uh, Brigitte Miro, who was a pretty famous uh, German actress who came to fame in her 70s, I believe, uh, and Al-Hedi Ben Salem, who plays the titular Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what's interesting about him playing the love interest of sort of a, what is it, a, a winter summer maybe or a winter fall romance i guess depending on how old ali is but yeah. what's interesting about that is fassbender was a uh, was very much a um very open uh, gay man and ali was his lover so he had his lover playing a heterosexual man uh in love with this older woman so i thought that was an interesting uh dynamic yeah he does that uh fassbender does that he a lot of times puts his lovers in his films as leads to they talked about that a little bit on Sylvan Go when they did was it Corel? Yeah, they did Corel and which is funny because Fassbender's in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in it. The fucking he's got a good catfish mustache too. Yeah, that guy always had the catfish. He always looked like he was I don't know, uh, like unshowered. <laughs> he he certainly looked like a man who through all accounts that I've read, I like to like to party hard and Yeah. Uh, lived a pretty rich life. I know he died rather young, uh, sadly. A uh, bit of a destructive person with some personal demons. Um, yeah, very young, 37. Jeez, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much between you and I age-wise. Yeah, well, yep. So, uh, he, I mean, he, he, he crashed and burned. In the process, he made some films. So, so yeah, if you want to summarize, I'll, uh, I'll get into it. Yes, to bring it full circle. Uh, so Emmy, a, uh, a woman truly in the second half of her life, falls in love with Ali, a Berber guest worker, more than 10 years younger. When they both decide to marry, everybody seems to be against them. When folks calm down a bit, Emmy and Ali get deeply unsure about their relationship. Uh, not bad, I guess. Yeah, not too bad. Um, okay, so I had seen this film before. Um, Roger Ebert had put it on his great films list. So I think I can't remember what year it was, but I decided to kind of go through Roger Ebert's great film list and rent some movies and and check it out. So I saw it back then. I can't remember what year that was, to be honest with you. Um, but I checked it out, and so uh, this is the second time I've seen it. Uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, I think I may have told Tyler that I never saw this, but then realized later on that I have seen it. So. That's yeah, because I remember you. I was thinking, oh, cool. You know, neither one of yeah. us has seen either film. Yeah, yeah, but I had seen it. But and, you know, that's one of those things where you know the mind plays games on you. Because of course, I don't remember everything I've seen. No, <laughs> I don't even remember everything I've seen for the show. There's times when I'm going through the, go through the, uh, the list of films that we've covered, and I'm like, ooh, I don't remember what we said about that. Ooh, I don't even remember watching that. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, I'll think, well, maybe we should cover this. And then I'll go through our list, and I'm like, oh, fuck, we already covered that. 
That's right. So, you know, that's what happens when you've done 204 episodes of a podcast. So, and I've gotten older and, you know, become a parent, which, as all parents know that are listening, your memory goes to shit. Oh, does it ever. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but it was, uh, it was almost like a first time watch because I've only, I'd seen it so long ago. So I'd for, totally forgotten. So, most of the film. Um, so it was good to sit back down and watch it a little bit. Yeah, so Fassbender, he, we, we talked about it a little bit. He crashed and burned pretty quick. Uh, notorious for, uh, I don't know, drug use, uh, working very hard. I mean, just obsessive personality from what I understand. And uh, he did put his lovers in his films quite a bit. I know in Carell he had a, a gentleman in his film that uh, they were talking about over at the uh, Silver and Gold podcast. And they were kind of like, you know, just just kind of talking about it a little bit. And he, he doesn't. It looks like Fassbender had a type. Uh, yeah, because wasn't it the was it Papa or something or? Yeah, <laughs> the, the big the big burly. He seemed to have a thing for um, Arabic or or black men. Yes, yes. So you know, and you know, more more power to him. That's what he's into. That's what he's into, bro. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so but uh, you know, they, like say, you know, like most men, men have a type uh, who aren't homosexual. <laughs> Most men yeah. have a type. Most uh, gay men have a type, probably. Most gay women have a type. We all have, everyone has a type. Yeah, we have a type. All of us have a type. And every now and then we'll be flustered when somebody comes along that isn't our type. And we're just like, ooh, hello. Yeah. Yowza. Like, you know, when I met, when I met Dr. Zahn the first time. Yes. I thought, man, he looks a lot like me. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fuck that guy. That's right, man. Well, he's <laughs> posting ass photos, uh over at uh, Silver and Gold lately, so oh, yeah. of himself. Nice. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Bouncing a quarter off that ass. <laughs> <laughs> or a loony. <laughs> yeah. Canadians. I know there's at least one guy in Indianapolis that's in a wheelchair that would say that guy ain't got no fucking ass. <laughs> Weak ass bitch. <laughs> Flat ass bitch. <laughs> oh one of my one of my favorite conversations at a horror hound ever. Emily saying, Emily. look, you can say anything about me you want, but I know I have an ass. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway. Uh, okay. So let's get back on the point of Ali, Furious the Soul here. Um, I really like how this film opens. Uh, you can kind of tell that uh, I don't think uh, the lead, uh, Ali himself, obviously he's not an actor. I don't think. No. And you can kind of tell that. You can kind of tell that he's he's in this and you know he's comfortable somewhat. Uh, but he, he's not, uh, you know, an actor type, uh, he's got a look, um, he's definitely got a, a certain kind of look to his face and a kind of a, I don't know if it's a charisma or if it's, it's as much cause you know, I don't know how he's charismatic in the face, but he's definitely interesting looking. Yeah. It does make, make for, uh, yeah. Cinematic. Uh, yeah, no, I would say that it, it is. Yeah. No, he, definitely. He draws your he draws your attention when he's on camera. Yes. Um. So I really like how it opens, and you should, the 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 Emmy character isn't really explained. She kind of goes through the machinations of kind of explaining herself later. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that she's a woman who's troubled and stuff, mm-hmm. and and this lonely, yeah, and lonely. And this bar that she goes into is frequented by mostly uh, people of a different culture. Arabic, yeah. primarily. And uh, so it's not a popular bar in the city because in this city, it's 
Well, there's a lot of racism. There's still a lot of racism in this film. And it should be said, it's very much serendipitous that she goes in this bar. She gets in there to take shelter from the rain. Yeah, yeah. And she has a cola? Yes. <laughs> and not not a, um, how do they say beer in fucking German? Oh. But she oh. has a choice between a beer and a cola, and she, of course, takes the cola. I don't know, man, but they always drink beer at room temperature bothers me. Oh, do they? Yeah, they, they, a, lot of, a lot of German people I know drink beer at uh, room temperature. Ugh. <laughs> So, I don't know. I'm not saying that everybody does. I'm just saying some of the people I know that are of German descent, I still know some friends of mine who still drink everything at room temperature. Oh, God. I don't understand it, but whatever. I don't know. They say that, you know, cold. There's no in between people. Yeah. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a war thing or something. Their grandparents raised them. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Room temperature always bothers me though. Cause it reminds me of spit or something. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. A little metal Mikey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the film kind of plays out very much like, uh, like you said, like a um, Cirque film or like a kitchen sink drama almost. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very heavy on dialogue, but it's also got these moments of like stillness that I really like. Matter of fact, the moments of stillness are one of the things I like the most. Uh, I like that a scene will end and then it'll hover for about eight to ten seconds mm-hmm. as if to let you disabsorb what was just said. Yeah, the film isn't shocking in any way. It's no, actually it's very tasteful. In fact, for a director whose reputation preceded himself, I think he's he's very restrained and tasteful, even down to the fact that other than Ali's dick, uh, you don't really see you don't see Emmy naked. You don't see any sex scenes. It's sort of fade to black, uh, and I think that was intentional because he was very much um, aping a, a '50s Cirque melodrama. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, you do see Ali naked, which, you know, it wouldn't be a Fassbender film if uh, you did There wasn't some Wang. Uh, there wasn't some Wang Chung going on, <laughs> uh, you know. But uh, it works in the context of the film. It, it is kind of a weird moment, though, because it, in that one moment, I just want to go back to that, because it is kind of weird, because it's almost like a completely set-up drama with no real sex scenes or anything. This, It's all about love and caring. And things like that, and then you get this full frontal uh, nude scene, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that is natural. Well, uh, I think the scene actually works well, and it is sweet. Well, which despite because she says to him, and I think it was actually one of the sweeter moments in the film, yeah. despite you know him, uh, you know his uh, his bait and tackle just kind of dangling there. He um, uh, Emmy looks at him because it's very much the perspective of a mirror. Yeah. We see him. It's not sort of shot right on him. And she says, Ali, oh, Ali, you're so beautiful. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you can tell she really, you know, she really loves him. And, and she's she's happy to have someone around. And, and she really cherishes him and admires him. Right, right. The the kind of uh, unsureness of, of her character, this kind of, uh, you know, lady who's, you know, lost her husband. She feels, you know, a little lost, a little lonely. Uh, to have this man in her life that she finds to be this almost Adonis-like character, uh, both gorgeous and and just great to her, because in reality he he mostly is he's 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 a confused younger man, but not confused sexually so much, but confused on cult maybe confused culturally, maybe just yeah. confused on how to be in love with a woman that's in her probably sixties to seventies maybe. Yeah, probably. I would say she's probably in her mid sixties, maybe even approaching seventy. But, that's what uh, I would have guessed because I don't think seventies is. You know, I mean, that's getting older. She's probably she's probably early to early sixties, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 
mid sixties. Some of the more interesting scenes in the film involve the the uh, the family and how you know racism is still in this part of uh, Germany and how they just can't handle that she's married this individual oh, from uh, he, he's Moroccan. I think is what they say in the film. And uh, they just can't handle this. They just can't handle this at all. They just think it's, uh, you know, this is the worst thing. I mean, they kick a TV in. You know, one of them kicks a TV in. Uh, after after several uh, unsuccessful attempts. He keeps <laughs> at it, though. And Well, I mean, if it, I've never tried to kick a TV in one of those old school tube TVs in, but I can imagine that it would not be easy. No, especially if you don't have a running start. Like he's, or he's still, trying to do the yeah. foot version of a, like a one-inch kick. It's like, motherfucker, <laughs> you're going to need about 10 attempts to yeah. break that TV. Unless maybe you got a steel-toe boot on, too, maybe, possibly. And the steel-toe must be exposed because, I don't know, if you just had, like, dress shoes on, <laughs> good luck to you, man. you gotta have you got to have those one-inch punch. you know, uh, break that hammer toes. toe, man. Yeah, ooh, don't want to break the toe, brah. You don't want to have it run over by a shopping cart, either. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. You don't want to have it. Trust me. From experience, I know that Walmart's yeah. deadly. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, they uh, so there's there's a great scene of kind of confrontation there. Uh, they kind of builds nicely. I mean, you know, it's not going to go well. Uh, it doesn't go like, I guess, in lesser hands, it could have went a lot worse. Uh, yeah, they could have carried it out to be a lot of. Uh just, I mean, it is an awkward scene and it's tense and there's some yelling, but it's not. It, he could have went over the top with it, and thankfully he doesn't. We get what we need to from it, right? And the uh, Fassbender character there, he's very quiet. But I mean, the first time you meet him and you see Fassbender stuff, this guy's like a total fucking asshole, <laughs> fucking pig. He's just a chauvinist pig. But see, the genius of that moment is right before that we're told that Arabic men are animals and they're pigs and all they want to do is fuck women. And immediately it, it cuts to Fassbender's character who's married to Emmy's daughter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, get me a beer. And he's just sitting there smoking like a fucking slob. So it goes to show, you know, that, that broad stroke sort of racial uh, assumption um, and how it's like, well, actually, a lot of men are pigs. And it's, you know, your, your own fine German men are are fucking can be animals it's you know human nature sometimes to be a bit of a pig and and to paint everyone with a broad brush is a, is a gross mistake and and a terrible thing to do <clears throat> right and uh it is it is and i think that's why some people have talked about this maybe being fassbender's like pivotal work possibly uh i know that there's a few other films that i have his that i like um, but a lot of people seem to refer to this one when they say to people who've never seen a fast bender, check that one out. Or, um, when they talk about his work, his top three or top five films, this film always comes up. So, uh, it, it, he definitely has this maturity level in this film, which is pretty impressive because like say 74, the guy only lived to be 37. So it probably was also his most accessible work. I'm going to assume. Yeah, mostly, mostly. Uh, there's some other there's some other stuff that's pretty accessible though. I mean, it's not he's not completely off the grid <laughs> uh, as he was sometimes. <laughs> but uh, so uh, let's see here. Let me see my notes. Say it's kind of weird that Ali always refers to himself. Ali, yeah, but I have. I I wonder. Uh, one of the genius things I think that Fassbender does is Ali speaks German. But it's there's times and it's very basic German, much like any foreigner in a new country would would do. Like you, you know, you see in the subtitles, yeah. 
Ali says things that uh, when I came to Canada, I would say pancakes. Yes, donut, Pre- donut. <laughs> precisely, but it's the same with Ali. He says uh, pretzel. I was uh, like, Sammy, Sammy, donut. Yes, Sammy, donut. Exactly, but it's the same thing with Ali. And <laughs> and there's times you can almost tell, like, um, there's almost like this weird blunt. Um, there's this weird blunt kind of. Uh, poeticism about sometimes the way he speaks like it's almost like simplistic kind of philosophy on things and not simplistic of course in his thinking but in the way he's able to um uh articulate because of the language barrier a little bit right. like he can speak german he can get by but right, right. some words you know he'll say i don't know what does what does envious mean and things like that because right. you know again it's he's only been in the country for two years it reminds me of the first horror you came to he's like uh we'll go target we'll go target we'll go uh uh uh, big lots, big Cr- lots. Buy movie. Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. We'll eat pancake. More pancake here, south. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man, it's almost like people sometimes think that though. If they go to Canada, they're like, you know, you are in a different country, but dude, it's it's still it's North America. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> but and I think you bring up uh, as much as it's in a jovial way. Yes. You really bring up something that I think is kind of the the calling card for the film, or the message of the film is there's certain universal needs and wants and loves from people, no matter what your gender, religion, culture, age is. People have basic needs to be to love and be loved, and these are very much two characters who prior to meeting through chance are not loved uh, really in the true sense or they don't have the ability to to love someone yeah so I, yeah okay that's really the, you know well, what the key to it is i mean i can see the film as a reflection of fassbender himself mm-hmm. uh you know, here's here's a guy who i think fassbender had issues obviously yeah, drugs and alcohol, just some of the things that went along with it. But he definitely had issues. Uh, you got to think this guy grew up in a time when being gay was not acceptable. No, uh, especially in a conservative country too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm sure that the you know fear eats the soul title. It kind of comes back to Fassbender a little bit too. I mean, he he eventually made a stance, obviously, and you know he is what he he you know became, but. You got to remember, this is a young young man who grew up, and uh, you know, from what I, everything I've ever read of Fassbender, he knew he was gay from the get go. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is a different time. You know, nowadays, you know, it's a little, it's it's much more accepted, I would say, than it ever has been oh, before. Gosh, yeah, and um, it's just the way it goes. And it, you know, I I don't want to get in a political debate about that because it's it's always silly to me to even think that being it's homosexual silly. is a a big deal. It's like it's like the whole black thing. Like I remember saying to you, you know, I can't believe there were black fountains. Really, like that was I, I, I'm appalled and, and stunned that that was yeah. ever a thing. Like yeah, it's amazing. I was saying, you know, in 30 years, our kids are going to look back, or our kids' kids maybe in 30, oh, 30, 30, 40 years maybe, and they're going really that like you know being gay was ever a thing. Like it's yeah. people, people are people, man. Yeah. And yeah, I mean yeah. it's amazing, but it's true. You do look back. And that's what history is supposed to teach you. It's supposed to teach you to get better, not to get worse. But sadly, sometimes people don't take the lesson they should. No. Um, a couple other things. Uh, my favorite thing about this film is the way the stages, the stages, the fast stages, the shots. Oh yeah. 
this is really nice. I mean, I like the stairway shots a lot and uh, the way he shoots through doorways into other rooms. Uh, very Tarantino. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, I mean, obviously I'm just joking around when I say that because we know Tarantino apes every director, but he wasn't the first one to shoot through doorways, guys. <laughs> just to, for the for the big time Tarantino uh, defenders uh, that you know, I've seen some people say, "Oh yeah, man, that guy shoots through doorways, man. He he's always shooting. He he created the doorway." I'm like, uh, "No, no, he did not, guys. Calm down. <laughs> That's been around since cinema. And some directors loved using it. Fassbender loves using it here. I love that she also takes him to a restaurant that Hitler ate at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, it's an Italian restaurant that uh, he frequented back in the day." And you got to think she's of the age where you know it's possible she probably got caught up in the Nazi propaganda. Well, she says that she says I was a member of the Nazi party, but but again, it it's never a reflection. I think of well, it's of not a reflection her. of who she is because no, she's, she's very honest. much. It's not. It's more just a reflection of the time. She's like, well, wasn't everyone in the Nazi party? Like, just kind of yeah. You know, that was the way Germany. Unfortunately, Germany was whether your ideologies meshed or not. Yeah, yeah. I like the. Uh, the dance sequences too. I love that the Ali is so. Yeah, he's he's like so awkward dancing. I love that. But uh, oh, fantastic. But, but, but it's almost like a gentleman unsure. He doesn't want to overstep his boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I like that. Uh, you know, it's it's on. It's he doesn't look like the type that would just get down and dance for no reason. You know, it's, it's not Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing. He's not going to come up to Emmy and just all of a sudden raise her in the air and start sweating and start snapping his fingers and shit. You know, it's yeah. not that kind of uh, it's not that kind of film. Um. But I do think that the best scenes in the films are the subtle ones, the kind of quiet ones. I'm, I'm glad that the film isn't explicit. I'm glad that the I film is... I am glad, is, too. Because, you know, Fassbender had the kind of personality where he could have hit you over the head with this. Oh, yeah. He could have yeah. had her, you know, gargling like a... As one of Zom's favorites, he could have had her as a German goo girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one other uh, tidbit. I know that uh, the lead that played Ali, I know he eventually uh, ended up killing three people. Or Jeez, are think, you serious? I think he he did something. He ended up in jail. Anyway, he killed himself in jail. So. Oh God! So that's that's uh, uh, some of this stuff is uh, autobiographical in a way because I do know that uh, from what I've read of the film in the past that uh, he had a hard time adapting to Germany. He started drinking a lot. A lot of problems developed. Uh, the relationship with the Fassbender was uh, tempestuous. Oh yeah, to say the least, and uh, you know, I just things just didn't go right. So and sadly, we, meanwhile, Emmy lived to be ninety-five and only died about five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sadly, it didn't. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. You know, yeah. sometimes broken people uh, attract each other, and uh, mm -hmm. things happen. And and you know, he may not have been Salem. So he may not have may not have may nay may not have been <laughs> mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise have not been. A uh, broken man before, but sometimes it just takes one thing. Sometimes it just takes alcohol. Sometimes it just takes bad relationships. You name it. I mean, uh, humanity. And 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 I got to say this now: the common theme, as we always find out when we do these listener program shows, the common theme of humanity's weakness in these two films is pretty amazing. That Tyler picked these two. So I, I don't. I, I'm wondering now, as I watch the eel, um, how you get broken people finding. Um, an oasis in a way or, or finding uh, something, an inner tranquility through the love or the arms of, of someone else who is equally as broken if in a different way. And right. these are two love stories in a way and two people trying to mend themselves through love and through their own insight. Right. So interesting. Right. I, I wonder if that was uh, intentional or not. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. That's all my notes. Okay, so I'll I'll try to move here because we're running late. We're probably gonna go over a little bit here, which is okay. Uh, we got we got uh, half an hour. Yeah, but we all got to know their film brother, and I haven't even talked about Ali, and I could probably talk for half an hour on Ali still. Um, oh, you do that while I get my eel out. Nice. <laughs> I uh, I love it. I'm here. Nice, nice. Sounds like uh, Night of the Creeps. Yeah. Uh, uh, but wow, I'm derailed now. Um, You're de-eeled. I'm de- oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I had a, my dad has a, my stepmom have a Keurig, so I had a raspberry, dark chocolate raspberry truffle coffee this morning, man. Yeah, those things are ridiculous, okay? My yeah. hotel room had a Keurig. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm ready to slam back three more and start moonwalking up the walls, man. Like, what was that video, Dancing on the Ceiling? I wanted fucking yeah. caffeinated like that right now. That was you know, not was uh, the lead actor in this film, though. That was Lionel Richie. Although now that I think about yes. it, Al Hedy Ben Salim kind of looks like a <laughs> like he could have been an Lionel. He does have a Lionel Richiness to his face a little bit. Yeah, a little bit more rough around the edges. Hello. Uh, yeah, that's right, man. Is Ali the one you're looking for? Um, beautiful use of colors, much like Cirque. Yes. Um, oh, let me back up. This film opens with a quote that I I really really love. Uh, I think it. God, I think it rings so true in life, um, and it's, it simply says, "Happiness is not always fun." Yes, yes. I mean, it, it's ain't it's, that the truth? It's poignant. It's very poignant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but much like Cirque, like I was saying, Fassbender does have a good command of colors in this film, um, and the shot composition is is you know very very good. And it was interesting for him to take. You know, 50s Technicolor America, like Cirque, who I believe was Danish, uh, did with his American films, um, and appropriate that and transition it into modern Germany at the time, 70s Germany. And we get some striking colors, and then we also get some greens and browns and, you know, some more tones of the, the era and the country. Um, and yeah, the, the, like you had said, the cinematography is fantastic, the way the camera just glides around the room sometimes. Um it works wonderfully, and I think it, again it has evokes a certain stillness and calmness and a gentleness and a tenderness, um, which I also loved about the film. Because there's a few moments where I thought, "Oh man, just I hope I don't, I don't, I hope I don't see them fucking like I just don't want to yeah. see that," because we all have this thing in us, and that's one of the reasons I love Cirque, the Cirque films I've seen so much, especially all that Heaven Allows. It's you know probably a top twenty, twenty five film for me. Is it is um, there's no cynicism. It's that it's core a very sweet and tender love story mm-hmm. and i think it's important for everyone to have mm-hmm. to try to maintain a lack of cynicism yeah. um when you're looking at something like that so yeah this you know. film this film isn't about sex like a lot of fastbenders films this film's about uh care Ooh, and love 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 yeah. absolutely and like a tender love yeah um, yeah which which i guess you could interpret as care as much as yeah. love because I think there's a there's a slight difference. I think I mean love and, and nur- care. nurturing. Yeah, yeah. There's this nurturing relationship. It's almost like mother son, but you know, obviously not <laughs> not that dark side of that. But uh, it's yeah. it's it's almost like that in a way. I mean, it, the, the physical is there. I mean, that's obvious, but it doesn't need to be talked about. Um, uh, I think only in the age thing, sort of mother son. Like I don't. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 no. That's what I mean. That's why I kind of laugh. I said not the yeah, uh, yeah. not the dark side of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hello, mommy. Yeah. 
Some of those seventies, uh, speaking of yeah, seventies out. Little taboo films. action, bro. Yeah, that's right, man. Uh, but I do love when when Ellie does refer to his wang, and he's like Schwein's kaput, <laughs> kaput, kaput. What's your papers, uh, Ali? Yeah, man. Um, kaput, <laughs> kaput. Uh, I yeah, I love. So like I said, I love his basic English, which I felt was realistic uh, and added to the charm of him. You know, there's a sweet kind of earnest, um, you know, an effort from him. Um, I think, uh, you know, it was there's just a lot of subtle things in this film because it's, it's subtle in a lot of ways. When Emmy sits down and he asks her to dance, because right? it comes sort of on a dare of sorts, and he's not being mean about it, but you know, someone says, "Oh, well, why don't you ask that old bird to dance?" Basically, and and when they strike up a conversation, you know, before he can almost finish the sentence, she stood up and she has her jacket off and she says, "Well, I haven't danced in thirty years." Or something, and you can just just willing, just crying out for any sort of physical contact with someone. You know, mm -hmm. I thought that was great. Right. Um, uh, yeah, they talk about yeah the German, uh, the sort of xenophobia, and how he's just in, in there as an Arab dog. Um, another great, again, very sort of blunt and simple line uh, when Ali talks about thinking too much and uh, how it can affect you, and he says, "Think much, cry much." Mm -hmm. Yeah, which again a very profound line. It's true. A lot of times we get wrapped up in things, and and we can get consumed by that, and it, it it can cause a lot of heartache sometimes. Not to say you have to ignorance is bliss, but you know where do you draw the line? Certainly. Um, on a piggish note, I wanted to see the blonde nude, yeah. and even more than her, I love that little trouble starting mink in the orange tube top with the big brown hair. <laughs> I I kept hoping everybody would get nude at some point. Even the even the old ladies on the stairs. <laughs> nice man, nice. Yeah, no. you got four or five of them. I'm just joking around, obviously. But. <laughs> That's more Dylan Power Hour, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that too. I mean, really, Emmy in a way is an outcast socially. She has no husband. Yeah. She's a cleaning lady. Mm -hmm. So these are people, two people that are isolated and marginalized by society, and. Uh, you know, in the, each other they find, but they've the, the void that that's been there, and you know, it just it's a sad, it's sad. It's it's also a story certainly stinged. Wow, tinged, not stinged. <laughs> I almost fucking said singed again. Tinged with sadness because when Ali is asking Emmy about her life, and she says, "I have kids," and he goes, "Oh, do they live in another town?" She says, "No, they live here, but we live separate lives," which is you know, that really sad thing. And I think it. What is it? And um, God, not waiting for tomorrow. I can't remember the name of the film. I, but what's his name is in it? Uh, Doug? No. I know Barbara Stanwyck's in it. There's always, not there's always tomorrow. I can't remember what it is. But he's, he's a toy salesman and his kids and his wife don't really have time for him. But it's, uh, you know, everyone's too busy. And it's it's sad. There's kind of that familial discord. And Cirque kind of touches on the familial disenchantment and, and people growing apart, and much like I think Ozu, who although I've not seen his films, I know it's a theme in his films. I think specifically Tokyo Story, mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it just again, it's very sad stuff, uh, and that's why you really get behind these characters when they find each other. Um, but there's these fucking nosy neighbors in this, and just they, you know they're awful. They're just they, they're just prying eyes, and they they just love like the second they're out of the room, they love to gossip, and it's like you fuckers, you have nothing better to do. Um, but yeah, I think also one of the interesting insights into Emmy is that her husband was a foreign worker. He was Polish, right? Hence her yeah. last name, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was a foreign worker. And 
Ali is a foreign worker and you kind of see, you know, this to her, it's like, well, what's the, what's the big deal? I mean, it's the same thing, right? And I think that's kind of the the irony of it. Um, it you know, just the, this racism, it's like, you know, it's just the, the absurdity of it. Um, I like, again, small touch, but when Ali stays at her house the first night, she's kept her husband's things and she gives Ali a pair of pajamas and they're too small for him. It's yeah. it's a yeah. small touch, but you can tell Ali is a bit of a physically imposing man, and I'm glad they don't fit him perfectly. <laughs> you know, so those are some nice silk pajamas too. I must say, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we we touched on this a few times. Fast Fender handles everything tastefully, which is good. Um, they look at kind of German nationalism. I think there certainly is a, is not is a criticism or a critique on on German nationalism. And it's really, in the context of this film, this fear of being different, the fear of difference, the xenophobia, and also this blind sense of pride that gets people in trouble, and how a lot of times pride keeps people from saying how they're really feeling into reaching out to people, and it isolates people. Yeah. Yeah, I so, agree. Um, you know, in a way, what this, this romance reminded me of a lot, and I have to th- wonder now if Patty is a fan of this. Is Tyrannosaur in some ways? Hmm. Two damaged people. Yeah, I mean it's possible. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean it. it this- it's been rejigged for that was for a sort of contemporary working class England, but yeah, you know, it, I never really made the connection until I saw this. Yeah. So. Um. I, and I really. Uh, sorry, did I cut you off there? No, 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 no. When they go to that that restaurant, that high end restaurant on their wedding day, they want to kind of splash out a little bit and have a nice meal. And again, you get this um, this waiter who's just a total total dickhead, and he's very much uh, you know thumbing his nose up at them. And he's throwing words out like apertif and, and chateaubriand, and in a very condescending way, yeah. um, tries to run them out of the restaurant. A because he sees that there's this this class divide, and also. Be that it's an integrated relationship racially, so you know, just terrible. Um, probably the saddest moment for me was um, when the kids find out, and after uh, the Karate Kid kicks in the TV, <laughs> that uh, it, it's the end of the scene with the mother with Emmy's quiet whimpering. Like it, it, it wasn't over the top. Like oh, it was wailing. It was her sitting on the couch, just shattered into a million pieces, and quietly whimpering, and Ali trying to console her. Yeah, and it was just a just a heartbreaking moment. Ali's a man after my heart. Anyway, he likes to drink coffee in a robe and underwear. Yeah, that's right, man. Always a little no. trick. Always a little tricky drinking coffee with no shirt on. A little, little, little tricky sitting down doing that. You got to be careful. Well, even more than that, you got to be careful frying bacon without a shirt on. Ooh, not yet. Well, I don't do that anymore. I've done that before. No. I learned that the hard way, man. Fucking, uh, you'd be scarred up, man. You'd be like Richard Lynch by the time you get done that shit. You better belt that robe if you're going to be cooking it shirtless. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like that the police, when the police come to the apartment, because, again, the shitty neighbors are trying to get um, get them in trouble and one of the policemen, they, they comment on sort of the hippie culture. One of the old hens is like, oh, did you see that policeman with long hair? What's this world coming through, coming to, basically? And, you know, it's, uh, you can tell he was sympathetic. He was someone that was more socially progressive. He was a younger person, right? He wasn't set in this old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what is this? I think it looks like it's a quote I wrote down. Happiness. There is such a thing as decency. I don't remember the exactly what that meant. Um, oh, I love the great shot of them uh, sitting outside at a like on a, like, a restaurant. Yeah, and like there's cafe. All these, cafe. That's what I, what I was looking for. And there's all these yellow chairs, and the camera's kind of pulling around these yellow chairs as they hold hands. And there's these lush green trees. Really great. Really yeah, beautiful. I like that scene a lot too. Yeah, and like you said, I really love the quiet moments. Mm-hmm. The quiet because it's 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 tranquility. It's an inner peace which these two people haven't had. Um, I felt like uh, the the one more heavy set neighbor. He always seemed to shoot her for the most part behind this like gated or fenced <laughs> door, yeah, and I yeah. almost wonder if it was like this metaphor of you know she's a prisoner of her own. You know her own preconceived notions and and her own uh, inner demons. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe even the title about fear eats the soul. Maybe she's so scared of the outside world she won't even come out of there. That's right. And I think that yeah, that, that did factor in. Um, I love the shots because later on in the relationship, you know, it, it gets to be a really, a really, a real cross to bear for them because they're cutting it from all sides. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the the sort of frowning at the relationship. Um. And Ali is walking the street, and he's just, he's so lonely, and it's these empty German streets, and it kind of has this delicate harp and harmonica playing, and it's uh, really, again, it looks great, and it evokes exactly what I think the moment needed to evoke. Right. So, and I think, you know, what's odd is later on in the film, there's a moment when some of Emmy's friends come over, and she starts acting a bit different, and it's almost like they're fetishizing Ali in like this Mandingo kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's just terrible, you know, uh, that we get that and just how things kind of go off the rails a little bit. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly, again, I think a, a, a criticism of the fetishization of, uh, you know, ethnic, t- uh, you know, certain groups by people. Um, scene. Oh, the scene at the garage was also pretty heartbreaking. You're yeah. waiting for him to say something. Yeah. And he doesn't, and it's just, just like, oh man. Um, uh, I'm pretty much done my notes. Uh, oh, Keith, 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 <laughs> as Ali says. <laughs> and uh, a great, great moment when you're kind of you're waiting with bated breath when when Ali is, you know, I guess we're going to assume a month or two has gone by, and and she goes into the bar again, uh, and. She sits down and asks for a cola, and then the person blocking Ellie's view of her moves, and you're waiting for bated breath to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it's just—I think it's yeah. the cover of the Criterion disc. Actually, it's a really wonderful moment, and that's it. <clears throat> Should also be said, uh, this film is available to watch on YouTube in full. That's so, how I had to watch it, quite frankly. Yeah, so don't know if it's supposed to be on there. Don't think it is, but hey, it's there. Yeah. So. Just to give everybody a heads up, if you got a nice YouTube streaming service and you watch it on the big TV. Yeah, man. All right. Um, make or break for me. I'm going to go with the opening, like, 15 minutes. Really love the setup. It's so simple, mm-hmm. so sweet, so, I don't know, just put a smile on my face. You know? It's a little different than the opening 15 minutes of the next film. <laughs> yes. Very different. <laughs> um. Uh, my MVT is going to be Fassbender. I do think, and of all of his work, that this is his most mature and his least angry. Less, least probably, although I haven't seen anything else, but I know <laughs> of him, obviously. I think probably his least cynical, too. Yeah. 
and that's where I'm getting the angry thing from. It's you know, cynicism and anger anger is kinda in the True. same ball ballpark, yeah. but it is way less cynical than most of his other stuff. Even even though some of his other stuff's not all completely cynical, there's there's definitely cynical moments. And there is a couple in here, but it's still ultimately a sweet film. Um so I'm going to give him the MVT because I do, I, I, as time's gone on, I still think this might be my favorite Fassbender. It's hard for me to really kind of judge that. I haven't seen everything, but I've seen at least a handful and and, and uh, maybe more than that. And this is definitely, all, this one always kind of comes to the top. It always rises, you know, so um, my score for the film is an 8 out of 10. I do think I have some issues with some of the wooden acting. I know it's I know it's part of the kind of, thing of the film and stuff but i don't know there's just moments where it takes me out there's a couple other things that i don't care for um but you know i could get i don't we don't always talk about what we despise we always seem to talk about more about what we like so but eight out of ten for me straight and narrow maybe you know what 8.25 out of 10 i'll go a little nice. higher i, I nice. really i really adore the film though good stuff um we're similar uh make or break for me is their, their first encounter very sweet, um, and you know, they, like I said, there's a part of you that you want to, you know, be, be able to believe in that stuff. So you're great. At first encounter MVT is just the, the, their genuine warmth and affection for each other. Like he went with a fastbender, his sure hand, but it's really the relationship that drives the film. You have to believe in it. Uh, I would, I, I his, his acting, I didn't find wooden, although. He, you could look at it that way. I looked at it more as, as a man who was really uncomfortable in his surroundings and was a bit stiff and rigid as a result because he was never on sure footing. Mm. You know, but I, I would agree with you. I think it's used to the effect that I said, but yeah. in reality, it's someone who isn't really a good actor. But yeah. I think he was using the emotional, uh, like the navigating of, of unsure waters uh, as, a, as a smoke and mirrors for his lack of acting skill. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's not. I don't think it's Salim's fault. I think it's Fassbender's fault. I think he lets the camera linger on him too much. Maybe so, but again, for me, I don't know. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I would agree with you, but I. I think it was more um, um, disguised as as what it needed to be in the film. But right. Yeah. Right. No, it's there though. Mm-hmm. Um, Musker's a little bit higher. Eight point five out of ten. I don't love this more than all that heaven allows, which would be a tall order. I mean, that's like a top twenty, you know, top twenty-five film all time. Uh, but it it's pretty good, man, and I definitely want to buy this film. Um, it's yeah, very good. It's only it's only eighty-nine minute film, I think, ninety minute film. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, like you said, I'm glad you brought that up. At YouTube, it's there. Everyone can watch it, and, and off they go. Off they go. Check it out. Check it out. Keith, 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 couscous. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break, come back and talk some eel, little unagi. Unagi. <laughs> Unagi-san. We'll yeah. be back right after this. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Coffin John of V Cinema, the site that covers Asian film from cult to the classics. Join Josh of VariedCelluloid.net, Rufus of CineAwesome.com, and me on the V Cinema Show a podcast that features Asian film discussions, special guests, interviews, and live event coverage. Our podcast is published bi-weekly on Mondays. So check us out on vcinemashow.com or search us out on iTunes. 
Also join the discussion and fun by following us on Twitter at vcinemashow and joining us on our Facebook page, which is located at facebook.com slash vcinema. And of course, check out our blog at vcinemashow.com for reviews, features, and interviews. Subtle, baby. That's subtle shit right there, bruh. Right. One of uh, Shoya Mamura's favorite bands <laughs> that actually scored this film, uh, ironically. Yes. Slayer. Big fans of the eel. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? One of the things I love about... Uh, have you, have you, I guess you haven't joined the Letterboxd website, have you? Uh, I have, but I've just, I haven't had time to really navigate. I'm like, fuck this, man. Yeah, no, understood. Um, but one of the things I do love about it is I love going through people I follow and people I know through like their ratings mm-hmm. and seeing where they stand on stuff because sometimes their ratings don't always dictate what they actually say to me in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or vice versa, you know, so it's kind of fun. I'm kind of skimming through somebody's that's very close to the show. A lady, if you will. So I won't say anything else about it, though, because I don't want to give her away. But she, uh, let's just say she didn't really like Get the Gringo. She don't know who she is. Okay. okay. She, she rated it the same as The Phantom. And uh, I disagree with that completely. <laughs> hmm. A woman that would watch The Phantom and The Woman. Oh, no, never mind. I'm talking about Aaron because he's telling me to watch The Woman. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, you probably do. But she, she did. Looks, but we, she looks like a, we agreed like on that. we agreed on lockout though. So I'm in love again. Is she? Uh, does she look like a young Kim Cattrall? Uh, you see that photo? I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. Okay. I, just, I just don't want to say anything. So okay, fair enough. <laughs> because you know they, her her letterbox information. You know she she's only friends with me. I don't want to give it away to the the listeners. You know. So. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. So the eel. Let me uh, synopsize for this. You take the lead on this slippery puppy. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I'll play with my eel while you uh, review it. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Here we go. Let me find it. There it is. Booyah. Um, Let's see. Uh, White-collar worker Yamashita finds out that his... uh, (laughs) I'm from Kentucky. White-collar worker Yamashita... Finds out that his wife has a lover visiting her when he's away. Uh, suddenly returns home and kills her. Um, that's not giving anything away. It happens in the first 15 minutes. 
it's not really the point of the film, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, let's just say, uh, let's just say, after eight years in prison, he returns and opens a barbershop, and we'll leave it at that. Sounds and, good. And because uh, I don't want to give away no more than that, because there is more to it than that, but that would give away too much, I think. So, yes. Uh, had you seen any Imamura prior to this film? Uh, I think I have. I've seen uh, Pigs and Battleships, maybe? And I've seen some of his really old stuff. Uh, because when I got into Japanese cinema, people told me to check out Imamura. And uh, so I checked out some of his stuff. Uh, let me see here. I'll tell you which ones I think. Yeah, I think I saw Pigs and Battleships. And I think I've seen Intentions of Murder and possibly The Pornographers. But I'm not sure on The Pornographers. <laughs> but I haven't seen anything else. Okay. Yeah, I've only seen a few. Um, the Insect Woman, Pornographers, Vengeance is Mine, which I keep meaning to do on the show. Yeah, you know, I've, ne- I've never seen Vengeance is Mine. Oh, man. I can't wait to do it. I'm a big Golgotha fan after a few films I've seen of his, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's one of those ones that's uh, escaped me. Yeah, it'll be a good one to do on the show, man. Um, oh, God, is a fucking great actor. We've had him on the show before with Mishima, which I wish you could have talked about. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this one. Um, Tyler picked it. Uh, like we said, I think it's a through line with broken people trying to find solace and, uh, and rebuild themselves uh, in a number of ways through these relationships and through themselves. Um this was Imamura. He's kind of in the, the twilight of his career. He was born in 1926. So, I mean, he was 70 when he made this film. Right. This feels to me very much like uh, an older man making a film because I think there's something you get with older filmmakers. You get an economy and a stripped away simplicity. Now, you're even getting a lot of times with. Uh, um, Oh, goodness. Corrieta, um, uh, as Corrieta gets older, um, speaking of Japanese filmmakers, they, you know, filmmakers get older, they don't feel the need to be as, uh, you know, do as much bravura filmmaking. You saw it with late Altman. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things they, they can tell a simple story well, and they don't need to wow you with technical stuff, which I feel like this film, that's what this is. It's a simple story told well. Right, right. Um, it's got our boy, Koji Yakusho, of course, the uh, the main assassin in 13 Assassins. Yes. And uh, he's also, he was in another film from my top 30 last year. The last, um, was it the last, uh, oh God, the last samurai, I want to say it's called, the last chush, uh, what is it called? It's going to fucking bother me. Let me just look it up very quickly. Uh, the last... Uh, Chushingura. Uh, he's also in the new uh, Mike film uh, Harakiri. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The he's been around. He's a director that I've seen. You know, a few of his older things too. He's in Babel and a ton of stuff. Um, yeah, he's good. A good actor. Very good. <clears throat> good actor. actor. He has a face that, to me, I couldn't quite pin it until I watched this film. But he almost reminds me of like a Japanese Dennis Quaid, uh, in that he has character in his face, but he has an inherent goodness about his face yeah like do you know what i mean yeah uh, i totally agree with that like i could i could get if you transposed this film or you trans you took it and flipped it over into say a small town in texas you could do dennis quaid in the role that kochi yakusho plays 
Yeah, he directed one film called Toad's Oil, which I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, this film opens up, and it's you know in the opening ten minutes we see uh, another man fucking his wife, and he reacts the way a lot of people would react. Um, they don't have kids, thankfully, so the fallout, uh, despite being terrible isn't as bad as it could have been. Um, I always feel like if people have kids that they might not react that way. Well, that's, you know, I'll be very frank with you. I don't know that I would (laughs) act the way he did, but I don't know that I wouldn't. However, the reason I said it's a good thing they didn't have kids, because as I was about to say that, I thought to myself, I wouldn't do that because I have kids. Right. Not to say I would anyway. I don't want to paint myself as some, you know, on the edge kind of <laughs> psycho. But I mean, listen, when the really? woman you love and the person you've built your life with is in the through the throes of serious passion yeah. with another man, who knows how you're going to react? Yeah, like Vincent Cassell and She Tan all of a sudden. Yeah, man. <laughs> Got my cardigan on, my big teeth, and ready to roll. But uh, <laughs> this uh, this film, and also in Vengeance is mine. Um, I love. Film. I, what am I gonna say about that opening? I love that the blood obscures the camera. Well, it's it's probably one of the best stabbings I've ever seen in film. Uh, it's just awful the way the sound of the knife penetrating flesh. I'm always amazed at that, that moment that they kill the female and they never kill. I don't know. Again, I'm not in that position, but I'm always amazed at. They he kill. I I guess you could. Well, I mean, we could get into a whole topic about that. But the dude kind of gets off well. You know, he kind of gets away. You know, I, I don't understand why he wouldn't kill him too. But it, that's just me. Mm-hmm. No, I would not let him get off as, <laughs> as easily. <laughs> yeah. But. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation either. I mean, it's easy to sit here and say that you I would, would or you wouldn't. I but. would or I wouldn't. <clears throat> but let's be honest. I don't ever want to have to go through that. And if I have to go through that, I hope that I would take the higher road, but I can't promise you that I would. Yeah, it's as, it's as an emotional response. Yeah, it's like watching sure. a two-headed shark attack. Yes, <laughs> precisely. I don't know. It's just, just an awful stabbing and you know, the blood on the lens, the way it sprays. And it's just a great sequence because it you could tell there was no pause given. He reacted without thinking. Right. By all accounts, even though it's early on the film, we get the sense of a of a rational man and immediately he kind of uh, gives pause he's like oh my gosh basically and he covered in blood gets on his bicycle and rides to the police station he's covered in blood yes and he says i'm so and so i live here and i've just killed my wife here's the murder weapon yeah so he goes to prison for eight years which seems like a, a pretty light sentence um but in saying that that's neither here nor there uh in terms of the film so at this point, we see the titular eel, um, and uh, you know, it, 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 we kind of get a sense that this eel has been of, of great uh, company to him while in prison. Um, Japanese prison, from what I've seen in, in Nine Souls and a few other films, uh, is certainly um, different than the American prison system, uh, or Canadian for that matter. Less pancakes. Uh, he does stumble. <laughs> On to something early in the film when he's out, we see that he's kind of under the care of of a priest, um, and he has to make a decision. He find he stumbles onto a, a body, and it puts him in a bad spot because you, of course, you're thinking through him what he's thinking, which is, "Oh fuck, 
if I report this, there is a chance because of my record, they're going to think this is me. But if yeah. I don't report it as a human being, I'm doing something really shitty and it's decision time. Right. And it's kind of that karmic balance. And, you know, thankfully he makes a decision that, um, and I don't think it's spoiling anything. Um, you know, it's, it's balancing things out to a degree as far as karma goes. Um, but one of the things I think that, uh, you know, uh, Imamura does quite well in this film is he's able to kind of convey the tranquility and the simplicity, the inner peace that uh, Yamashita has, has kind of come to, come to embrace and, and live through, um, simply because, uh, he's had a lot of time to obviously reflect on, on the consequence of what he's done and, and, and where it's left him as a person. Right. Um, and one of the big things about that is, uh, you know, even just the way we see him go about his business, he becomes a barber. He learned a trade. He was a barber in prison. And mm -hmm. that's ironic because he's a barber, but Ali was a Berber. Yeah. There you go. How about that? Uh, how about that? How about One that? vowel. Mind separates. equals blown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. You just said it, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, uh, there you go. Um, but uh, maybe that's the link Tyler was going for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this, we see him in his business and how he's integrated himself until what's almost like a little farming, not farming, but this very rural community. Yeah. You can tell everyone knows everyone. It's tight-knit. And it does that thing, the Japanese films, and you've said this and I've said this and we've both agreed with this. Japanese films do very well. There's a lot of films about family and about love and about isolation uh, and the warmth of family and the need for family. And Jap Japan maybe does uh, familial dramas better than any country, mm -hmm. but we do see him integrating himself into this community quite well. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also see that whenever there's some blood, he gets quite an aversion to it because of the, the obviously the trauma he has emotionally, mentally, and otherwise from his act that he committed. Right. Right. So, right. Um, I think, you know, to go back to the whole tranquility thing, I think the surroundings in this film are great. I mean, they carry a certain amount of peace and give him an, an inner sanctum, uh, really no matter where he is, whether it's uh, fishing or, you know, riding alongside the river or at his barber shop, there, there's never the hustle bustle that one would get. It, it's always very calm and tranquil, which I think would lend itself well to someone healing themselves yeah. uh, in the position that he's in. Right. Right. Uh, love the barber pole. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's almost like right. a, it's almost like a barber pole out of like a fucking Ken Russell movie or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unlike any barber pole I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've seen a few barber poles, bruh. Oh, yeah. That sounds like some a porn movie. <laughs> it could be. It probably is. <laughs> oh. It's a bad thing. You know, I found my dad's stash of peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. Ah, I can tell. <laughs> I'm done. I had a hat trick, as they say in Canada. <laughs> nice. Um. So, uh, yeah, so I won't eat any more on air. So that's it. I'm done. Um, for today, anyway. I'm not saying I'm never <laughs> yeah. in there because that would yeah. be a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> um, but I love the barber pole and I love, um, I love sort of the, the comment on this film is 
you know, how, how does your, and this is really the theme of two, both films. Another thing, how does your past affect you? Mm-hmm. How much does it follow you? How much is it your cross to bear? And how much do you make it your cross to bear moving forward in your life and the relationships you have in your lives and how people's own uh, emotional baggage factors into their day-to-day life and their day-to-day living and their relationships with people, be it of a romantic or um, uh, platonic sense. Right. How much does that f- resonate with you and how you react? Right. Well, everything right. is everything is choices. And in this film, you especially see it, all the choices that are made and stuff. I mean, everything from the very beginning is a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean... He could have chose not to to ignore quite a bit of stuff, but he chose to. You know, I mean, I mean, it's deep shit. It's ex, it's ex, existential. I think I'm trying to say that right. Thinking. I mean, we could get into that, but you know, we'd be talking for hours. But you know, it, it's it, it's interesting that you say that is your past across to bear, or do you choose to make it across to bear? That's 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 a, an interesting uh, statement you made there. Yeah, but I think it really it holds true for these two films. Uh, and, and how much do you let um, external sources impact what you do day to day? Because both in both films, we have characters that are very much um, feeling pressure internally and externally to adjust what they're doing in life right. and right. the relationships they're carrying on. Because in this one, too, we have two damaged people and they're finding solace in each other. Uh, despite having war wounds, so to speak, and you know how much is that going to be a proverbial roadblock, and and how much does society affect that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, what is also interesting is that we get some pretty great and pretty enthusiastic flamenco dancing from a bunch of elderly Japanese people for a few moments in this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like horror hound, bro. It will be one day. <laughs> it will be one day, man. I got Sammy and I come in roses and teeth. <laughs> Got the pirate shirts on. We got those those heel those those heel dance shoes. Yes. <laughs> so asking people, asking the locals, hey man, where do you get the brute Fabergé? <laughs> Indeed. Um, <laughs> prayer bead. Oh, the prayer beads. There's a moment near the end of the film um, when another prisoner who you know things haven't quite gone as, and I think there's probably some uh, spiritual things in this that are very inherently Japanese that, that subtle or otherwise might have gone over our heads as North Americans, but um, the prayer beads and just the, uh, the, the antagonizing of, of one of the characters of our main character and the lot he feels he's been handed in life versus uh, Yamashita. Is it Yamashita? Sorry, I jumped away from, uh, is it Yamashita? Yeah, Yamashita. Uh, so yeah, um, great quote from an old, uh, bald mustachio Japanese man near the end of the film when he says, look carefully, officer, it's me being violent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some kind of funny little offbeat comedic moments. And I'll tell you, and it's ironic when I see this now because I'm looking on IMDb and I'll tell you why in a moment, but near the back end of the film when everyone shows up at the barber shop, it gets very Almodovar screwball kind of um, Mexican soap opera. Yeah, it does. And it's so insane. And I started thinking, wow, this is like an Almodovar moment. And when I'm looking at IMDb, it says, people who liked the eel also liked all about my mother and talked to her. Yeah, well, there you go. Because to me, if you shift the perspective from the male character, Yamashita, to Penelope Cruz's character in Volver, 
it's very much the same thing. She has done something that she cannot take back. Uh, however, she has a child, and she is opening a business in that movie. I think it was a restaurant, and um, and it's about her having finding love with, for herself and and for someone else. Um, right, right. Make, this this would make a great double bill with Volvera now that I think about it. Um, and then finally, my last note is I love the quote at the end of the film when one of the the uh, our helmet wearing uh, lovable local boy asks um, uh, Misa Shimizu's character Kiko Hitori, uh, you know, if if I'm not going to say what because he has a bit of an uh, <laughs> an obsession with something, but she responds to him, and I think this is kind of the whole thing of the film. If you put your heart into it, I'm sure they'll come. Yeah. Right. So I think yeah. that, again, sort of the, the through line with both films, right? Right. Don't let that hold you back. You'd be true to your heart despite leaving yourself vulnerable because you'll be enriched for it uh, nonetheless. Right. That's it. All right. All right. Uh <clears throat> So Imamura films are typically known for looking kind of under Japanese society. So I kind of, I've always liked that because it is a rigid society, right? But I always like in Japanese cinema that they they like at least they look under their society. At least they look at some of the things that make them uncomfortable. Some societies, you know, I feel like just they don't want nothing to do with it. But you know, they they sweep it under the rug and leave it under the rug. Yeah, yeah, it's best to you know out of sight, out of mind, right? So. But I like that, you know, it looks at that and looks kind of the rigors of society. And, you know, the, he was one of these kind of the, one of the original kind of new wave kind of directors when he first kind of, kind of hit, uh, you know, part of that group and stuff. Like I say, you know, I got into Kurosawa and Osu and these other guys and everybody kept saying, well, you got to do Imamura then you got to do blah, blah, blah. So I started doing uh, a few of his films, but he, he obviously has a different take on things than some of those others, even though some of the society stuff is still there. Because that's Japanese cinema in a lot of ways. Um, I like that it plays with, you know, human fallacy and human and rage in particular. Uh, Something that, again, is easy to when you're in a calm mood and you're watching a movie, you see it happen. Uh, Sometimes you can get mad at a movie and, and it's all up to the filmmaker and stuff. Now, this is this one doesn't get you that way. I don't think it got me that way. Uh, it didn't get to me in the way that rage builds up. Like I've had some films, like I think of uh, Richard Gere, and uh, this is a weird fucking movie to compare it to, but Richard Gere in a movie called Internal Affairs with, uh, I think, Andy, no, I don't figure who, I can't remember. Oh, who I think they were in another one, like D.E. No, um, fuck. I can't remember anyway, but there's a scene where a guy walks in and Richard Gere's fucking his wife in the ass. <laughs> Oh, and, which would come back full circle when Olivier <laughs> Martinez fucks his wife in the ass yeah. and unfaithful. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, I think of that moment and that way that's played, and it's there's this rage that builds up because the filmmaker built it up with scenes previous, whereas this one's an opening, so you don't really get that same sense. Um, but it does give you the it, let's just say it gets the ball rolling, so you kind of get no, you get the idea. And of course, I love the uh, yellow raincoat uh, covered in blood. That's uh, you know very. Very awesome visual, and I love that you know they're like we always joke around that the the, the Asians and Asian cinema are very high pressurized individuals when it comes mm-hmm. to their blood spray. Oh yeah, of course you know I've never stabbed anybody. I don't know how much blood would actually spray, but uh, wow, <laughs> a lot of blood, bruh. 
We're getting dark here talking about killing people and blood spraying. And yeah. I need more cookies to calm me down. <laughs> and Ali's cock. <laughs> you can have that. I'll just keep the cookies. <laughs> I thought that was the cookie. <laughs> oh, <Ooh>. nice. <laughs> Need to circumcise that cookie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a few of our friends know what that's all about. Yes, a few of our friends do. The flesh sock, the sock in the laundry. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, but I, I like the the idea of a broken man rebuilding his life. I, I've always liked that in stories, and uh, because you know humanity, like you said, choices things that are done, you know, they don't always really dictate what kind of person that person might be. Mm-hmm. Yamashita is a good person. He just made a really big mistake. Uh, that's why I always think, you know, when people automatically say, you know, well, you know, to kill somebody, you should kill them. Uh, I agree sometimes with that statement, maybe out of anger, but it's not, again, like you said, it's not your cross to bear. In my opinion, you don't really have any say in the matter. And that's just my personal opinion, though. I mean, you know, that uh, other people, you know, they like to get involved that politically. They like to get involved in talking about death sentences and everything else. To me, it's none of your business. But that's just the way I think. It's only your business when it affects you. But I think that his decision that he comes to, I like that the eel kind of, to me, it kind of represents his wife and the talking to the eel and the way the eel does. I think it represents what he wanted his wife to be or what he hoped his life would be mm-hmm. and that he can be himself and there's no real discussion back and, and stuff. So I love that he starts to care for this thing that, uh, you know, this eel that, uh, you know, most people wouldn't give two shits about an eel but I love that he to him it's very important. I kept thinking all the time though that uh, you know he needs to put water in that bag. <laughs> I know. I'll tell you another thing that about the eel that was very subtle that I think is also happening is right before the the situation with his wife happens, he she says something like, "Oh, are you going to get any eel? Are you going to catch any eel or, or something?" There's a mention of an eel, whether it's "I'm making you eel" or "I've packed you eel" or "Are you going to catch an eel?" I think it was uh, uh, she packed him eel takeout. So I almost wonder if it's that just hanging on by a thread to some connection to his previous life that there's things you know you can't crazy glue back together, but through this relationship with this eel he feels a connection to his wife. So I think there's definitely something there, whether it's, you know, if he feels like it's kind of some sort of personification in a bizarre way, or if it's just a lingering thread to his life that he can't fix. Right. And the, in the, um, I like trying to think of how to say this, the, that he would hang on to that little memory possibly and treat her almost treat that. eel almost like his wife tells me that, he wishes he wouldn't have done what he did. He definitely has remorse for what he did. Uh, I think he reacted through passion, through rage before he used his head. Again, it's a complicated subject because you don't know what you do in that situation. It's easy to say when I'm watching a movie that I wouldn't do the same thing that, you know, but I, I can't say for sure that I wouldn't, I would like to think that I wouldn't, 
but I would also like to think that I won't eat a cheeseburger five times this week. And, you know, there's weeks when I've done that. There is a distinct <laughs> possibility of it happening in both our lives. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, you, you, you go into everything with the best of intentions, but you don't know what life is going to deal you. So it's easy to be righteous and to be to say things. And I think that's what I got from this film. It's, it's easy to judge. But, you know, the great saying of judge, lest not ye be judged or whatever is, is, is one of my favorite sayings because, you know, that's humanity's, for me, that's humanity's biggest error is that we judge mm-hmm. and that we, we have no right to judge. Uh, that's just, you know, you don't know everything that happens in somebody's life that leads them to a certain path. So it's, to me, this one instance is not a reason to judge. So I think that he's a good man who made a bad mistake. Uh, I like the scenes with the the second female in the story, and that you see that he is this you know this caring soul. Um, his humanity obviously makes him weak and stuff, but I did like that moment a lot where he finds her laying there, and you know he just doesn't know you know because of his prior situation because he's worried about this judgment from people that he automatically feels like you know he's going to be roped into this thing again. Um, I really liked that moment a lot. I like the film a lot on the whole, but I just feel like it's it. I feel like it's way too long. I, I mean, and I, I talked to you a little bit about this off the air before we started recording. I just feel like it. You know, I mean, there's parts of this film for me that were a real chore, and that's that's amazing coming from me because I'm very much a fan of subtle cinema. Like I love the mundane in cinema. I love when a character washes a pan for two minutes. Yeah. Or uh, when a. I don't know when somebody smokes a cigarette for three minutes and no dialogues. I mean, I love those kind of moments because they're truly cinematic. You're just watching somebody do something. You're not, they're not talking. They're not moving plot forward. They're just cinematic moments. And, uh, but this one, for some strange reason, it didn't click with me as much. Uh, and I, I had some issues with it. I still like the film, but I just don't, I feel like, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I feel like there's almost like a half an hour that could be taken out of this thing. Um, Maybe they could take the half an hour they cut out of Spider-Man. <laughs> Stick it back. <laughs> You're like a Godfrey host, Stiley. <laughs> yeah. Some hopping uh, ninjas and vampires in there, too. So, No, I mean, but I do think I do think Eamon Moore is a great filmmaker because I've seen some of his other films, and I know he's a great filmmaker. I just don't think this is like a shining moment. And uh, I remember Tyler asking me if I'd seen it, and I said, no, shamefully, you know, I have not seen it. I thought I had not seen both, but obviously I'd seen one. But... um so I was kind of glad he picked it because I wanted to see some more and more. I was just, it's one of those things, you know, you did it one year where you assigned yourself a task to do like four or five films from each director. You may have not have known. I know you just had another recent where you, uh, somebody, Oh, it was Aaron. Aaron asked about Nicholas rogue and you said, you know, serious blind spots. So I have a yeah. feeling knowing you, you'll go and check out some rogue now. Well, that was how I got into Cirque. Ironically was, uh, I did, I did Bergman Cirque. Uh, I can't remember a handful of directors and I've gotten away from that a bit because mm-hmm. of having kids and, and stuff it's a bit tougher to to commit to you know 10 films from a filmmaker in a month but uh yeah no you're right but that's the that's the interesting thing about uh going back and looking at these films but any anytime anybody picks a film by somebody that i respect like imamura and it comes from somebody i respect like tyler who is a great cinemist a cinema fan himself cinemist i don't know what a cinemist is (laughs) a cinemist cinemist uh but uh, you know i really appreciate this pick and I, I do see the through line through the two films i mean i feel like there's some there's some the the kind of take on humanity the decisions made and everything else seems to be and even when we think about the other film he picked uh the, he picked seven beauties right 
Yep. Uh, yeah. he, I'll tell you, he's one hell of a programmer for the GGTMC. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, this, this guy has been like just, uh, <laughs> you know, crushing it out of the park, man. Yeah, Every really. time he's programmed it, he's just slayed. Yeah, it's been uh, – I love that his films are both GGTMC-esque and at the same time uh, profound. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's anything I can take from watching these two films, is that profundity. This, this, these films are even though I didn't like the eel as much as some, or definitely not as much as Ali. Uh, I still feel like it's a film that made me think about decisions, about where I would be, what I would do, blah blah blah. And when a film makes me think of that, you know, that that's a good thing, and that's 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 what the power of cinema Absolutely. can be. But that's all my notes on the eel. I really don't have a whole. I mean, most of the stuff I had, you had, so no need yeah, to go over that again, like, Brad. Uh, that uh, that surgical. <laughs> met, oh no, never mind. I'm not even gonna get into that. Whoa, hey. <laughs> I was gonna get into the whole uh, the, the the dirty sock. <laughs> oh God, here we go again. We didn't have time for uh, the dirty sock talk. <laughs> well, I'm sure some of our listeners are sad by that. Yeah, exactly. Another show, another show. We'll, we'll talk about our own eels. Ooh. There you go. Hard to handle. I need a good kung fu grip. Um, oh. So make or break then, I guess. Yes. Uh, make or break is the murder. It seems bizarre that I would pick that, but I think that uh, Imamura is effectively able to convey the horror and the shocking, uh, the shocking nature of the moment so we can really see how it's affected our main character and how it has haunted him. I mean, it's a given it should anyway, but the, the, the fact that he's able to convey that perfectly uh, allows us to really get a sense for the, the rest of the film, our character going to pick up his pieces of his life in every capacity. MBT, I'm going to go with Yakusho. I think he's fantastic as an anchor for the film, and he has, a, like I said, an, an inherent kind of a, a tranquility, a philosophical nature. It seems like an insight, a, a genuine sort of a looking inward uh, as an actor uh, that he gives pause to things before he does them. And I think he was perfect for this role and he nailed it as it should have. Um, I'm going to give this film a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a wonderful film. And yeah, it's, it's almost, yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Okay. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to give the MVT to the lead. Koji Yaku show. I, I, you know, I just think he's, I think he's a great actor anyway, and uh, I think he's really great in this film. His subtle kind of acting and his rage, and you know, he's got great eyeballs. You know, great eyeballs, man. I guess got some great eyes. Um, makes me want to watch Thirteen Assassins again, though. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> no, makes me want to watch it again. Uh, might be the first film we revisit on the GGTMC. <laughs> Uh, because I know you and Chris did it, but I mean, it might be the first film we revisit. So. You and I need to, you know, uh, masturbate together on, on that film. It's so yeah. good, man. I need to drop a load on my Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, my make or break is also the opening. It's not just the murder so much, but it's just that whole opening. Uh, up and up into including the ride on the bike. I love the ride on the bike. What an image the the bike ride with the oh, blood yeah. on the coat is. I mean, what a great image that is. That's uh talk about subtle and yet over the top at the same time. Great image. Um, my score is just a little bit lower than yours. I thought I disliked it. Uh, I, you know, I thought my score may have been 
you know too low but it, it's a, it's just a seven out of ten i still think it's a good film i just think it i just think personally for me it just it felt like a chore at times and uh i just couldn't get through some of that some of the mundane didn't work for me as much in this one as it does in other films i don't know why but it just didn't just the tone wasn't there some of the other characters in the film are not as interesting as i think they could be too you know, he he ends up with a little posse. Yeah, he does. And that, an <laughs> and that little posse is not completely interesting uh, to me. I, I think okay. I just think some of the other characters could have been a little bit more interesting. I mean, well, whatever. That's uh, it's. A, I, the, I like his posse, but uh, you know, feeds their own. <laughs> I like that we're calling him a posse. I like the mustached, bald man that was laying waste. Well, that's the uh, that's the the uh, the probationary officer, right? Yeah, yeah, he was fucking bringing the thunder, man. He was like Bud Spencer up in this piece. Well, no, I, I liked him. I just didn't. I don't think I liked like the gangster guy that drove like the Suzuki sidekick. <laughs> oh yeah, which isn't really a good guy. I knew as soon as I saw him in a loud tacky suit that he was yakuza because they always wear shitty, just awful, <laughs> garish suits. Yeah, yeah, and and I think there's a mentally uh, challenged individual that I liked a little bit, but I, I, I like him. I think that there could have been more scenes between them two. But anyway, anyway. That's neither here nor there. Uh, okay, so that's our show. That's everything. Do we even know what we're doing next week? What are we doing next week? Oh, that's a good question. Did we get? Did we get Wazam? Did he say uh, he could do the fourteenth? I can't fucking. I can't remember. I know what we're doing the week after next, but I don't know what we're doing next week. You know what? Let's not commit to anything on the air this week. Yeah. Okay. We, it'll we, be a surprise. Yeah, we just don't know. Let's just go yes. with that. So. But we will be doing something. Hopefully, uh, Zom's got his picks, and he's going to come on the show. Uh, hopefully, that's the game plan. But if that doesn't work out, then uh, uh, we'll 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 do something. We got some more picks. We got plenty of picks. So yeah, clickety click, yep. lots of picks. <clears throat> All right, roll call time because we're running. Yes, uh, roll call. Roll call. Roll okay. call. That's like, a, oh, you guys probably don't have the show. Uh, it's a, never mind. It's a kid's show. I'll be digressing again. Check out Sylvan Gold. Check out Show Show in the midst of their Halloween spooktacular. Yes. They're in the Elm Street series. I'm through the first four. Loving it. Yeah. Um, you, kicked up a, you kicked up a shitstorm over on the Facebook page. Yeah, Sam and I disagreeing <laughs> on something else. <laughs> People always say we agree on everything. I don't understand yeah. it. Most things we do, but a uh, few things, you know, that's the way it goes, man. Yeah, that's the way it is. Um, check out OTC, check out Hammockus, podcast with Iron Humanity, Cine Awesome, The Hopeful Romantics, and Trails from the Skeleton Closet, uh, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers. Uh, they're going to be reviewing Big Mama's House this week. Uh, Glee Cast, Ooh. Paleo Cinema. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paleo Cinema, Family Movie Night, Podcast on Fire, 35mm Heroes, Chinstrigger vs. Punter, NOTLP, The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, uh, Criterion Cast, that's Criterion Cast, not Scratch Criterion Cast, as I called it, <laughs> Projection Booth, Mondo Film, Love That Album, uh, Movies About Girls, A Man, A Kid, A Pony, Trick or Treat Radio, The Good, The Bad, The Weird, yeah. uh, The Gore Press Gorecast, of course. Um, check out Paracinema.net, NightmareTheater.blip.tv, We Are Young Monster, Teleport-City.com. Uh, check out Siamese Royalty, our main man Aaron's uh, band. Check out Israel.blogspot.com. Um, 
the GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Say My Baby, Fist of B-List, Cinema Gonzo, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask for our main man Greg throwing down on the, the hot wax for us, uh, Oily Maniac, The Death Rattle, uh, LightningBugsLayer.com, My Hero Never Dies, The Freaking Awesome Network, check out Feed My Ears on Facebook, and of course... The keyboard monkey himself, spitting knowledge over at Region Incognito. He's in the throes of his Halloween-ish right now, so you can check that out. And check out, our, of course, our sponsors, DiabolicDVD.com, Cinema-DE-Bizarre.com, OMG-Entertainment.com, BoulevardMovies.com, Camera Obscura. Camera, of course, is with a K. And check us all out on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes reviews, which were a little bit of cree cree for those lately. So let's get some rolling. And uh, <laughs> and I do want to say, if I may, on the air, happy Thanksgiving to all of my fellow Canadians. And respectfully to that, even more importantly, I want to wish my stepmother a very happy birthday. And I want to wish my beautiful baby boy, Brayden, a very happy second birthday. Yes. Um, we love you with all of our heart. And you have been everything that... Uh, we could have ever hoped and dreamed for. So thank you. And uh, I guess on that note, there's only one thing left to say. Yeah, that is a happy Thanksgiving to Canada. <laughs> happy <laughs> and, Maple Turkey Day. <laughs> happy Maple Turkey Day. Yes, no. Uh, that is uh, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 